So I'm a scientist. And I'm not, but I'm curious about science. She asks a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And it's always fun for me to explain complex science in understandable ways. So So we we made made a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to So I Married a Scientist. I'm Corey. And I'm Mel. Corey, did you see all of the leaves outside? They're starting to change. It's so beautiful. It's officially fall. It's fall. This morning felt like fall for the first time. We have had back-to-back 90-degree weather over here in Tennessee. I don't know about... In October. In October. It's well into October. And this is the first day that it has felt like fall. Corey walked outside this morning and was like, Yeah, I took Benny for a walk this morning, and it was very nice. It was very nice, That nice, crisp fall air. I want to talk about fall today. Can we talk about fall? Absolutely. What would you like to talk about? All kinds of things. You know what I did today to get ready for this episode? What's that? I went to my closet, and I found my coziest sweater, and I put it on. Very cool. Even though I'm overheating slightly right now, it doesn't even matter. Worth it. I am so excited about harvest festivals and corn mazes and carving pumpkins and Halloween and Thanksgiving and apple picking and apple cider donuts. If we can get those down here, that would be amazing. That's totally a New England thing. Let me ask you, what is your official position on pumpkin spiced anything? I'm not about it. You're not? At all. Well, I have a confession. I bought pumpkin spiced Cheerios. They're in the cupboard. All you. (laughs) Great. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, normally I'm like, okay, this is too much pumpkin spice, people. You got to tone it back a little bit. But I was intrigued in the cereal aisle. They could either be really good or really bad. We don't know. Yeah, no. I've never gotten into the pumpkin spice craze. No? Okay. Well. Fall is my favorite season, though. Yeah? I'm probably a little biased being from New England, but yeah, definitely by far my favorite season. Yeah, New England fall is pretty good. Actually, when we were on our big road trip, uh... When we rolled into New England, I think it was Connecticut, Corey looks around and goes, look at these trees. These are robust New England trees. There's a distinct <laughs> difference in tree quality in New England versus the South oh, or I think those the are Mid-Atlantic. Words. <laughs> just anybody who's done that drive, just, you know, take a look around, see the trees. They're taller. They have better stature. Is that They're because broader. The, is that because of the climate? I think it's just tree quality. <laughs> there has to be a reason. I have no idea what the reason is. <laughs> I don't think trees in New England are like, we're going to be more robust than the South. We've decided. I don't know. There's like a tree union. And they're like, it's noticeable. <laughs> they're great trees. Yeah. But what's your favorite part of fall, if you could pick a part? The temperature. The temperature. The weather. <laughs> it's nice and cool and... Oh my God. I'm from Maine. Yeah. Corey wears shorts year round. If it gets above 85, I'm pretty miserable. Yeah. You're melting like a snow cone in Phoenix. If it could be 55 year round, I would be perfectly happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a shorts and 20 degree weather kind of person. Polar bear. Yeah. And I'm the opposite. I like above 85 degrees. So we. It's great. (laughs) So one of us is not happy. But one of us is always happy. Yeah. So that's the the important. So there we go. We'll focus on the glass half full. 
Well, my favorite part of fall is the leaves changing colors because as you know, I love colors so much. Have you ever been sad that there's not more colors in the world? I am sad about that on a regular basis. I know that's super weird. This is full confession time. How would you make more colors? I don't know. There's like 256 million colors visible to the human eye. And sometimes I just can't find the color I want. It just not, it doesn't exist. I think maybe in another dimension we can see more colors. And just thinking about that makes me so happy. What would a new color look like? I don't know because I've never seen it. You know? Okay, anyway, changing the subject. <laughs> continual spectrum i know i know you know sometimes you just got to find that perfect color it is true though in the visible spectrum of light that there are some colors like iridescent colors or maybe even colors that we see in nature that we can't reproduce on a screen or in print because the spectrum we're capable of reproducing in those medium isn't actually completely true to life like like the iridescent colors of a peacock feather we can't actually reproduce those exact colors for many reasons that have to do with like the physics of light and waveform we should do an episode on iridescence and bioluminescence and all the kinds of colors you can find in nature it's on the list yep so but to me sometimes i see a fall tree that's just a flame with color and i think i couldn't i don't think i could actually reproduce that in my, you know, design software that I use as a graphic designer or even in paint without using maybe metallic colors or something. I don't know. It's just so beautiful. I can't, I, I just, I, I have to stop and just stare at colors sometimes. They really are gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Yeah. They're breathtaking. So, okay. So I, how do we talk about fall foliage? I yeah. want to know the science of it. So I think to start, we kind of have to Go all the way back to why leaves are green in the first place. Okay. And what kinds of pigments and science is going on in the leaf itself. And then we can talk about environmental factors and all of those things that actually cause them to change. Okay. Great. Can I tell you what I know about leaves? Sure. Let's hear it. Okay. Here's what I know about leaves. Plants make them. Most of the time they're green. Sometimes they're not. They tilt toward the sun when they can get the sun and then they use the sun and convert it to energy through chlorophyll. And for some reason it's green. I'm not sure why. Um, I'm glad it's green. It's very pretty to look at, but why isn't it blue? Why isn't it purple? In some cases it is. I'm rambling and that's all I know. So <laughs> let's, let's pick this up and yeah. uh, go into the science. Scientify of it. that. Yeah. So Leaves have multiple different pigments in them. The primary pigment is chlorophyll. What's a pigment? A uh, pigment is just a natural coloring agent, and the color depends on light absorption or reflection. So in this case, the color that you see is the color that's not being absorbed. So whatever's being reflected away from that pigment is going to your eye. So in the case of chlorophyll, you have absorption in the blue spectrum of light and up in the red spectrum of light, but you're not absorbing those green pigments, which is why it appears green. And there are multiple compounds like this in the leaf. It's just that chlorophyll is the most prominent during most of the year. When you say compounds, what are we talking about here? A uh, compound is just a chemical structure that is made up of multiple atoms. Is it similar to a molecule, a compound? Great question. Yeah. So all compounds are molecules, but not all molecules are compounds. So it all depends on what types of atoms are in the structure. Oh. So if you have the same types of atoms, you're a molecule. So in the case of like ozone, which is O3, you have three oxygen atoms. 
That's a molecule, but it's not a compound. Whereas in water, you have two hydrogens and an oxygen. Since you have two different types of atoms in that molecule, it's also a compound. Oh, okay. So to be a molecule only and not a compound, it has to have only the same type of atoms in it. No. So oh, no. <laughs> it's, a molecule is both something that has the same type of atom uh-huh. as well as different types of atoms. Okay. But in order to be a compound, you have to have at least two different types of atoms. So compounds are always molecules, but molecules aren't always compounds. So water, H2O. Yes. That's two different types of atoms. That's both a molecule and, and a, a compound. compound. But ozone, O3, is not. Correct. A compound. It is a molecule, but it's not, not a, a compound. compound. Okay. So a leaf has some compounds in it, which are a lot just of different compounds. complicated molecules. Right. Some of those compounds are pigments, and those pigments are responsible for absorbing energy from sunlight and going through a process called photosynthesis to turn carbon dioxide into carbohydrate sugars for energy storage that the tree can then use year-round and also create oxygen. So that's a really complex process, uh, probably too much in-depth for this particular episode, but we can do a whole episode on photosynthesis. But the important note is just that these pigments are in the leaf to create energy, and they do this during the summer when there's a lot of sunlight, and during the winter in deciduous trees, there's no longer a lot of sunlight, so they're like, yeah, we don't need these pigments anymore, and we don't really need the leaves either, so we're just going to drop them. Drop it like it's hot. Please cut that. When I was in middle school, I learned about deciduous trees for the first time, and I remember going home and saying, Mother, when I grow up, I'm going to live in a place with deciduous trees, and she looked at me like I had grown another head. (laughs) Because she, she was from Minnesota, and she moved to California as soon as she could to get away from the seasons. And then here was her daughter, who had this California living, saying, I want seasons. This isn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. I always like seasons. I love seasons. Yeah. Living in a place without seasons, to me, starts feeling a little bit like Groundhog Day. But I guess everyone has their preference. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Yeah. So deciduous trees are trees that drop their leaves. Is that the only definition of deciduous? So there are evergreens and deciduous trees. Those are two different trees. So the pines that have needles, those tend to be evergreens. And the deciduous trees are the broad leaf trees that drop their leaves. Now you can have leaved trees that are evergreens. So like palm trees always have their leaves. So deciduous trees are the ones that change color. Correct. Because the chlorophyll goes away? What happens? Yeah, so it's important to note that the chlorophyll is the predominant pigment all throughout the summer, but it doesn't mean that the other pigments aren't there also. So if you think of efficiency for energy generation from the leaf, it wouldn't be a good thing to allow the green light to be reflected and not involved at all in energy absorption. So there are other pigments in the leaf that make up for the fact that the chlorophyll can't capture that wavelength. Oh, so yeah. they're, they're kind of getting some of the excess that... They're getting the, the waste. wavelengths that the chlorophyll can't absorb Whoa. in the background, but because chlorophyll is so much more abundant, the leaves just appear green. So besides chlorophyll, what other pigments are in deciduous leaves? Yeah, so there are a few of them. There are carotenoids. Alien carrots. Yeah. 
No. No? <laughs> Dang. But uh, it's funny that you say carrot because the most famous carotenoid is beta carotene. Oh, I was kind of right. And that is the primary pigment in carrots. Is Are they orange? They are orange. What? So carotenoids tend to absorb in the blue-green end of the spectrum. And because of that, they tend to appear yellow and orange. A closely related pigment is a flavonoid, which is also in that yellow to orange range when it's reflecting light. That sounds familiar. What's a fla- What else are flavonoids doing? Yeah, so all of these things are plant-based nutrients. So you probably heard it in the context of nutrition. So beta carotene is important for eyesight, mm-hmm. right? So it's a plant-based nutritious molecule that helps us. Uh, and then flavonoids tend to be found in fruits and vegetables, and they are good for us. Oh, okay. So we got carotenoids. Yes. Yeah, so, so far we have chlorophyll. Chlorophyll. Carotenoids. Carotenoids. And flavonoids. And there are actually two others. So Flavoflavoids. Sure. There's anthocyanin. Anthocyanin. And this is one of the pigments that takes over a lot of the green spectrum. So it covers a lot of the green and yellow spectrum. Uh, and it reflects red. So this is the really vibrant red and purple uh, pigment that Those you see. Those are my favorite. And what's interesting about anthocyanin is it has a carbohydrate molecule in its structure. So it actually has to be made from a sugar that's already been made by primarily the chlorophyll. So if you think about the scientific process of that, like the chlorophyll makes some initial sugars, and then to cover that green wavelength that chlorophyll can't absorb it makes some anthocyanin to absorb the green and make some energy out of the green isn't a carbohydrate a sugar is it like a sugar made from a sugar well it's a compound that has a sugar component okay i use carbohydrates and sugars kind of interchangeably okay so interestingly when you have a tree like a sugar maple those tend to be the most red and purple leaves because they have the most sugar to convert to anthocyanin and make those nice, vibrant red and purple leaves. Whoa, so the color is directly related to like the sap and sugars that the tree is producing? Right, so anthocyanin is directly related to how much sugar is available. And then the last pigment is just the tannin pigment. And this isn't so much used for absorption, it's just kind of the baseline, behind the scenes pigment. Um, So you might have heard tannins from wine and it appears brown. So after all of the vibrant pigments are used up, you know, because they're converted to other things, the baseline is the tannin. And that's why when you have dead leaves on the ground, they all appear brown. Brown. Wow. Okay. So you see chlorophyll first during the summer because it's green and that you said that's the most abundant one. Right. And then the other pigments are in the background, like kind of siphoning off the excess to like save some extra energy. For to the tree. Convert some extra energy. Convert yep. some, some of the waste. Some so of the stuff like, that it can't capture. They're yeah. like really like little recycling agents. No. No. <laughs> they're like a little power plant. A little power plant. A little solar power plant in this in the leaf. Okay, so like chlorophyll is like the main power plant, and then yep. the other pigments are like solar power plants from this extra energy that chlorophyll puts off. It's it's just capturing the energy that chlorophyll isn't capable of absorbing. Isn't capable of absorbing. Right. Okay. So so chlorophyll goes away at some point? What happens to well, it? Well, no. So during the process of photosynthesis, the chlorophyll absorb energy and then create 
carbohydrates and they're, they're constantly being depleted. So during the summer, when they want to maintain this high level of energy production and storage, they continuously replenish their chlorophyll stores. So these chloroplasts are little organelles in the leaf cell. They're little power plant structures, and they have a lot of chlorophyll in them. And they're constantly making more chlorophyll so they can continue photosynthesis. Always in the background, there are those other pigments. Mm -hmm. And it gets to a point in the fall, as the sunlight starts to go down, when the leaf is able to say, hey, winter's coming, and we need to stop making as much chlorophyll because eventually this process is going to become inefficient. inefficient for us. Yeah. Yeah. And the trigger for this is actually the amount of sunlight that you get throughout the day. So it's the ratio of day to night that the leaf is sensing to make this decision. And there are some elements that we can get into that influence it as well, like temperature. Uh, but the primary trigger is the amount of daylight versus nighttime. That makes sense. So the leaf itself is deciding, okay, chlorophylls kind of takes a lot to make and it has to be constantly replenished, right? So we're going to stop making it now that it's wintertime. Is that right? Yeah. So it realizes that as the days get shorter that it needs to start preparing for winter. And what it does is it starts the wound healing process to sever off the leaf because you don't want an open wound in the tree mm. with all of these leaves falling off. It's called an abscission layer. And that process corresponds with chlorophyll dying because if you have that layer formed, you can no longer get the sugars back into the tree. So why do you need chlorophyll anymore? Oh, And that allows you to start seeing the yellows and oranges. And then as the excess sugar starts to accumulate in that leaf, you know, because the yellows and oranges are still creating sugar, you get this big uptick in red pigment generation in those anthocyanins. Why red in particular? Why the anthocyanins? Well, because you have that sugar and the sugar molecules that are left over from this process after you can't absorb them into the tree anymore because that abscission layer is formed. You have this excess sugar around and you just convert it into anthocyanin. Amazing. That is so cool. So... So that is true, actually. Like, I've noticed for fall, like, the leaves start turning yellow before they start turning red. And that's because the tree's basically getting ready to drop its leaves and it's kind of, like, closing off, not only shutting down production, but kind of closing off those supply channels, right? And then you get these, like, back pulls of sugar in the leaves themselves before they fall off the trees. That is so cool. Right. So when you hear people talking about, oh, we're entering into fall foliage and then you get to peak fall foliage... That's that transition from mostly green to some early yellows and oranges. And then peak foliage is really that nice combination of yellows, oranges, and reds. Yeah. And some purples mixed in there as well. Before all the pigments are consumed and right. no longer produced. And then you get to brown just to the And then you the get to past stage. peak where yeah. you're having a lot of brown leaves and things are falling off the trees. Yeah. So what makes it fall off the tree itself? Yeah, so it's that abscission layer that I was talking about. So right at the stem of the leaf where it connects to the branch, you get these cells that form that basically scar. So it's like scar tissue Whoa. Uh, equivalent for the plant. And that, again, is so that when the leaf does fall off, it's not going to have this open wound for 
pests and cold and all that kind of stuff to so, get in. So it starts creating this barrier at the end of the leaf stem. Yep. And then eventually that barrier gets thick enough that it just kind of falls, like it breaks. Yeah. Oh, okay. That is amazing. I never thought of leaves having to do with scar tissue. Yeah. It's kind of poetic. It's like if a cork-like collection of cells. Yeah. That actually causes it to separate. So then what happens to the tree after all the leaves are gone? Yeah. So then it's just in winter mode and it's relying on those stored starches and the sap and other things. And it's waiting for spring to come. So it's like, do trees actually hibernate? Is that what it's called? or? Well, I mean, yeah, it's the hibernation equivalent for a deciduous tree. A tree. One of the most beautiful experiences I think I've ever had was uh, snowing, snowshoeing up in Wisconsin in February when there's like a foot and a half of snow. We did a snow, a snow camping survival trip uh, in college. And being in the forest, in this completely untouched, preserved forest, with all the trees completely gone with their leaves and the snow and just the quiet and the peacefulness of those trees were just so spectacular. It's almost like I could feel them sleeping or something. I know that sounds weird, but it was just so incredibly peaceful. And I think I didn't really appreciate winter and all the things that trees go through on a yearly basis, especially in colder climates, just to survive. It's yeah. amazing. It's a big old life cycle for them. You know? Yeah. And you think that they can live several hundred years so they're doing this you know many 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 times throughout their life yeah and there's a phrase out there you know like the dead of winter like i think a lot of people associate winter with death but it's not it's just sleeping oh yeah these trees are still very much alive still they're alive not producing energy at the moment at the moment but they're still using energy oh yeah it's just stored up yep like a little squirrel stores its nuts for the winter yep it's Same all stored idea. in there yeah so it seems to me like some fall leaf years are better than others, even in places that are famous for their fall leaves. How do we explain that? Yeah, so there are definitely environmental factors that go into how good the fall foliage season is going to be. So the best fall foliage seasons tend to start really early in the spring. And if you have really wet springs and early summers, you're going to have a lot more energy production which is going to give you much better pigmentation later on, especially in those anthocyanin reds. Now, the converse of that is during the fall, like right before you want the leaves to start changing color, you want warm, dry days, and then you want cool nights, but not freezing nights. Frosts are really bad for fall foliage. How come? It's because the leaves themselves are pretty fragile. They're not very well protected. So if you get frost coating these leaves, then a lot of the pigments and processes that are happening in that leaf will break down. What does the cool air do? Yeah, so it's a signal that, you know, winter's coming. It's like the second signal, I guess. So it facilitates more of those compound turnovers. So like this year, we had an insanely warm fall mm -hmm. in most places along the East Coast. So they're actually predicting that the peak season for fall foliage will actually be a week later than normal this year. Because of the longer summer? Because of how warm the nights were this fall. The nights. Ah, okay. Yeah. So Well, here, okay, so here where we live, we had a really, really rainy early spring. Right. And that means that sugar production got an early start, right? Okay, so that's a good thing for fall colors. Yeah, so as long as we don't have a frost between now and the peak season, 
we should have a very good foliage season this year. Oh man, I'm so excited. We should have people send us their fall pictures yeah, of their great. fall leaves. Yeah. But yeah, so I looked, we're recording first week of October. So everything's a little bit further back. I think the southern edge of the transition to fall foliage season is currently in like Pennsylvania. Vermont is getting close to peak, but it's not peak yet. Gotcha. Still probably a week or two away. Yeah. What other environmental factors would affect colors? Yeah. So there are a few of them actually. So we mentioned temperature. That's a pretty important one. The other thing to note about environmental factors is if you get drought too early in the season, it will cause the tree to go into self-preservation mode a lot earlier. So you don't get the nice back end foliage that you would get in a really wet year. So if the tree's not getting enough water, the first thing it'll do is start withholding water from the leaves in order to protect like the core of the tree? Well, yeah. So because during the photosynthesis process, you need to have a lot of CO2 uptake into the leaves in order to facilitate the production of those carbohydrates, you end up having your pores open. So if you have a really hot, dry spring and early summer, you are losing a ton of water through those pores. So if you're not getting enough water, you don't want to necessarily keep your pores open just to get CO2 because you're going to dry out the whole tree. and That's going to put it at risk. So to compensate for that, you get decreased photosynthesis and decreased pigment generation in order to prevent losing too much water. Oh, so they close the the little holes of the leaves. The leaves have little little tiny holes. Yeah, so the bottoms of all the leaves have a ton of pores in them. Underneath the leaves. Yeah, so that oh. you can get the CO2 from the air to create those carbohydrates. And then I know we're not going in depth into photosynthesis, but the um, the output of a, of the whole process is oxygen, right? Like, right. So trees like breathe in carbon dioxide and they absorb, they turn the carbon into sugar. They, yeah, they yeah. convert CO2 into carbohydrates that are very carbon rich. Yeah. And the byproduct is oxygen. Is oxygen. So that's pretty common knowledge. You know, trees put oxygen into the air. So when the chlorophyll production starts decreasing and these other pigments are kind of kicking up the back end, does that impact the tree's output of oxygen? Like, are trees outputting less oxygen in the wintertime? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So oxygen is almost exclusively from the leaf photosynthesis process. Now, worldwide, you're having oxygen on the other hemisphere. So it's not a huge drop oh, because if it's yeah. winter here, it's summer down there. So so globally, globally, yeah. it's pretty consistent. But that's why the rainforest is so important, right? Because it's Absolutely. year-round oxygen Yeah, so anything production. near the equator where you're not getting those deciduous tree drops oh. is pretty consistent. And then on either hemisphere, you get summer and winter variation. Now, something like a pine tree, those needles are very small. And even though they're evergreen, do they still output as much oxygen as like a maple tree? I don't know what the actual ratio is, but yeah, they're, they're producing oxygen year round. Evergreen trees are. Yeah. Yeah. They have like a waxy coating on their pine needles. So they don't lose quite as much moisture when they're doing photosynthesis. Amazing. All right. So we covered the environmental factors, the time of day. We talked about temperature changes. We talked about water. Anything else? Yeah. So the final contribution to the fall foliage is that really vibrant red or purple that comes out. And again, that's because, you know, you get that abscission layer, you start to accumulate some sugars and you're making those anthocyanins. And those anthocyanins are actually 
different colors depending on what pH they're at. So if you're a tree in very acidic soil, which some tree species really like, you're going to trend toward red anthocyanin. Whereas if you're more of a neutral soil, you're going to get more of a purple anthocyanin. Cool. So the best fall foliage years are ones that you have very wet springs and early summers, and then you get those warm, dry days during the fall with those cool nights, but not quite frost. And that allows you to really build up those reds that kind of fill out the fall foliage spectrum. Yeah. Well, in a given area, the soil stays similar pH, right? Like that doesn't change from year to year or does it? Not drastically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it all depends on what kind of plants and soil structure you're around. Yeah. Amazing. There's just so much. I had no idea there was so much that went into this. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, the trees just change. But they don't change. Like the color actually isn't changing. So it sounds like what you're saying is beneath the green, there's always those other colors in there. There's always those yellows and oranges. And then toward the end of the season, you start to get those reds. The green just goes away and it reveals what's underneath it. Right. Which there must have to be a lot of green because most of these leaves, these trees like look very green. They don't look like they're green. Oh yeah, the ratio is drastically toward the chlorophyll. Because, you know, as I know... A thing or two about color, if you actually mixed equal parts of red, green, yellow, and purple together, you would get a gray color. So if you're seeing something that's super green that has other colors in it, the green is super predominant. Right. Yeah. That is so cool. So I guess my last question is, are these pigments that we mentioned, the flavonoids and all that, uh, are they just in leaves or are they in other stuff? No. So yeah, they, they're the predominant pigments for a lot of different plant structures. So a lot of flowers and fruiting bodies and fruits and vegetables have these pigments in them. That's amazing. You know, all of this has inspired me to just go craft things. I think I'm going to leave this conversation and go make an autumnal wreath. An autumnal wreath. Yes. I went to the dollar store and I got some crafting materials and I'm going to make an autumnal wreath from things I collect in nature. That's a great Sunday afternoon activity. I know, isn't it? I'm excited. All right. Well, let's wrap up so you can get to that crafting. Would you like to tell everyone how they can get in touch with us? Sure. We are always open to new ideas and messages from people who listen. We love to hear from you guys. You can email us at soyemeritascientist at gmail.com. You can go to our website, soyemeritascientist.com, and leave us a message. And it would be great if you like the show, you want to go to your favorite place to get your podcast and subscribe, rate, review us. It, would, it really helps us get seen by new people. And uh, in general, we just would love to be in touch with you. We're on social media. Come find us. Come talk to us. Come hang out with us come talk about science and we'd love help getting the word out yeah yeah just uh put it out there you know and we hope you have a magnificent fall thanks for listening have a great day have a great day thank you for listening music by lemon fest logo and marketing by cambridge creative group edited and produced by Corey and mel see you next time